0: Hello, this is Micheál Martin, Tánisdén Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, in my latest uh, episode of my podcast series. And I'm speaking today with Dr. Cara Augustin-Borg, Assistant uh, Professor of Environmental Policy in UCD, and of course, crucially, a member of Ireland's Climate Advisory Council, uh, and also a member of the Advisory Committee of the Tagus Saint Post Programme which is designed, of course, uh, to help farmers uh, deal with climate change. And above all, uh, Cara is chair of the Independent Judging Panel um, for uh, the recently published scorecard for this government by Friends of the Earth. This is the scorecard marking, if you like, the government's performance in terms of its programme for government. It's an important scorecard holds government to account. Uh, it's independent. Uh, so, Cara, can you outline to us your sense of progress so far over the last three years in the context of the program for government.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Tanish. It's really an honor to be here. And it's lovely to hear your thoughts on our report card. So Friends of the Earth have been conducting this assessment every year since this current program for government started in 2020. And first of all, I should say that the current program for government has more environmental commitments far and away than any program for government we've ever seen, uh, certainly to my knowledge in the state, uh, with almost 300 environmental commitments in it. So what the independent academic committee has been doing over the last three years is checking the progress on each of those nearly 300 commitments uh, to see is the government keeping their own promises on the environment. So that's not to say that we necessarily think that that this is enough and, and that more shouldn't be done. but. The own the promises the government has made. To
0: focus on the are, are they
1: tracking them? And so we've divided them into nine categories. You know, climate, air, water, biodiversity, agriculture, transport, things like that. Uh, and we check every year. And we do a big consultation. This year we interviewed over forty one stakeholders, uh, people within government, people outside of government, civil society, journalists, uh, to see where are we at which with each of these promises. And then we grade each of those criteria. So this year uh, we gave the government a C plus. Overall, and that's up from a C last year. So they started with a C plus in the first year. They dropped down to a C in the second year and they're back up. To a C plus this year.
0: That's um, like the old pre-leaving certificate <laughs> and pre-intercerts. When you got a C plus, <laughs> so it was kind of a sign that you better get down to work now between Christmas and summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And really,
1: there probably is only, what, maybe two more years of, of, of this government. So mm. it, it, the pressure is on now to really start seeing changes. And, you know, as someone who who's on the outside getting to track uh, these commitments over the last three years, it's been really, really interesting because. Uh, as an ordinary citizen, you can see that that maybe not much has changed in the last three years in terms of environment and sustainability. But when you look behind the scenes, you can see that a lot of work has been going on, and I and I feel fairly certain that in, in the next maybe three years. We will see a lot of these things in our day-to-day lives. That are that our lives in the next few years will be more sustainable than they ever have been in Ireland in terms of you know waste and and pollution and everything. And we'll we'll start to see improvements based what, on what's happening. What areas
0: would you identify as particularly positive and perhaps negative um, uh, in, in in the context of the report? Yeah, right?
1: I think we've seen consistent work done in air quality. Um, so there's only five commitments in the program for government around air quality, but. Strong commitments, and I and I think particularly if you look at the the smoky fuels ban, yeah, yeah. I mean that was something that that successive governments over maybe the last three to five governments had been trying to implement unsuccessfully because of lobbying and outside pressures. Uh, so it was quite impressive that this government got that, that was, through.
0: Yeah, that was a skillful piece of navigation, if I say so myself, in terms of that legislation coming through. I think the, the, the legal advice we received was, was was good in terms of how we would do it. Uh, I think it was important we got that done in terms of air quality more generally. And of course, it yeah. has a consequential impact on emissions as well.
1: Yeah, and human health, <coughs> massive impact on human health yeah. too. Uh, and then the clean air strategy too was something that, that was committed to and, and we were a bit worried it wasn't going to happen, but it, it came through this year. So so the score in air quality has been retained. Uh, I think it's seven out of 10 for, for the last uh, three years. Uh, and then circular economy in the first two years, we saw a lot of policy Mm -hmm. measures put into place that started to show how Ireland could move to a circular economy, where instead of throwing everything away when we're done using it, we find out how we can use the waste products from one industry to create another industry and create more opportunity and entrepreneurship. Uh, So there's a lot of policies, and there's a promise of this idea of a deposit and return scheme on plastic bottles. Uh, But the score drops slightly this year because we still haven't seen that on the ground. I think we will see it in the next year for sure, but uh, it's just starting to lag a little bit on implementation.
0: Yeah, because one of the big issues, of course, is in terms of uh, the the program for government. I think fundamental work has been done in terms of the climate laws, in terms of the maritime laws, in terms of the establishment of MARA, the the regulatory authority for the marine, Mm -hmm. plus the marine spatial framework. And right across the board, there have been very substantive legislative foundations laid. The challenge can be moving then from that to actual delivery, yeah. uh, delivery mechanisms through government and the administrative system, the planning system. And when you put juxtapose that against the emergency that climate represents today,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think therein lies a continuing challenge to Absolutely. government and to society as a whole.
1: Yeah, and I and I think the areas where we see real challenges are in those kind of interdisciplinary or, or cross departmental areas where we need multiple departments to be working together. Uh, to and and then the implementation really really suffers. So so that's a challenge. So the the areas that have been con- consistently weak have been agriculture and related to that. Uh, water quality has yeah. has has really <clears throat> not improved in the way that we need to. In fact, it's getting worse.
0: Can I come back to that in no moment? moment, just about that legislative certainty, because I think Mm -hmm. you have made the point, if if I'm not mistaken, in the past, that that certainty is very important for other stakeholders in society, particularly industry and business, that they have a clear idea of the future trajectory of government policy yeah, in terms of I think their we, own actions. I
1: think we really saw that in the first year of this government when the, the climate law was amended and, and strengthened substantially. And finally, you know, emissions reductions targets were put in, carbon budgets were put in, uh, sectoral targets were put in, things we had never seen in the climate legislation. And it was really interesting this summer, the Climate Advisory Council was in Cork for our meetings in your home county. And we went and visited a, a pharmaceutical plant there, a, an international pharmaceutical plant. And they were saying that the fact that Ireland had such strong climate legislation was allowing them to go to their international headquarters and say, listen, we need more money in Ireland on sustainability measures. We want to put up wind turbines on our side and do other things uh, because our government is, is pushing this stuff and this is now law. And so they were able to secure a sustainability funding from International HQ that other oh, yeah. Yeah. plants in other countries couldn't. And, and for me, it was, a, it was a big light bulb moment where I went, you know, it's interesting that it, when it comes to environment, companies tend to want governments to be more certain To have more legislation to to, to give them a sense of direction on. I think that's a very interesting
0: observation. I I saw the manifestation of that myself um, last year in Eli or two years ago, where they developed the largest solar farm in Ireland. They replaced a farm they had as a buffer on their plant, a dairy farm, with a. Um, with with a solar farm, uh, which is now pouring um, their their, their, uh, factory. Uh, And of course, uh, the manufacturing facility and PepsiCo recently have the largest rooftop solar uh, program, uh, which will account for about 25% uh, of their energy uh, used in that plant. So I think that's a good indication of how industry can respond if the correct
1: yeah, and uh, yeah, this is why legislation is, is so important because we know that if something is in law, it's very hard to for a future government to undo it. So it's much more impactful than a, a policy document or whatever. So, so yeah, really important. important. Yeah.
0: Can I come back to the agriculture and um, water quality? Yeah. Um, your thoughts on that and, and the challenges around that? Because, you know, it's an ongoing debate. Uh, I think government is anxious to bring people with us. Yeah. Um, my sense with, with farming and agriculture that of all stakeholders, farmers are being asked, uh, you know, okay, it's 25%, I think, is more or less agreed mm-hmm. target, whether people think that's too low or too high. Uh, and many farmers will say, we want the roadmap to get there. Um, yeah. Not ev- not everybody in society has been given an individual personal roadmap yeah. in the same way, yeah. if you get my point. Yeah. Um, and I have evidence of farmers endeavoring to do their best yeah. uh, in terms of inputs and so on like that. But maybe yeah. You, you, yeah. you can yeah. you give me I'd, your I'd perspective. i like a personal
1: roadmap myself, <laughs> actually. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think probably the, the indication that of a good deal is that nobody was particularly happy about the target for agriculture. So environmentalists said it was, it was too low at 25% and and the farming community said it was too high. And and so that's probably right where you want to be in terms of negotiations. So, I mean, we are asking the least from agriculture Mm -hmm. uh, compared to other sectors. And that indicates that that's a a priority sector for us in terms of economy and everything. That's fine. Every country has the right to to deal with their emissions reductions in whatever way they choose, so long as emissions go down overall. So that's fine. And I think we've seen analysis that has showed that even an 18% emission reduction in agriculture uh, wouldn't have an effect on on business as usual. Essentially, you could you could achieve a lot of it through through measures that are very cost yeah. effective to farmers, like changing fertilizer to protected urea or different types of breeding methods, or all the things yeah. that Chagas yeah. has done. You know, so it's that it's that last maybe five or six percent that we that we really have to look at system change and and the current program for government really doesn't do that. It, it obviously it was established before these climate targets, so it, it kind of focuses on the business as usual mo- model. But even with low ambition in agriculture when it comes to the program for government, we're still not really achieving much. We, you know, we've seen some peatland re-wedding. Mm-hmm. The story of <coughs> Bordemona is fantastic. They have absolutely transformed themselves. But we're not seeing off- offerings to farmers at scale to really get the kind of system change we need.
0: You mean financial offerings as it our alternatives? I mean, well, uh, it could be anything. Yeah, it could yeah.
1: be financial offerings. Or, because could, some could,
0: farming... Um, um, organisations will say to you, look, um, we're probably one of the more efficient uh, from a carbon production perspective in terms of dairy and beef and so on in comparison with. Yeah, well,
1: we need an updated research project on enough. that actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But
0: in comparison with Latin America, South America, Brazil, Australia and so on. Um, and yet you, you guys and they'll say to us, you seem to want to import more of that in, ter- in terms yeah. of a potential Mercosur deal, for example,
1: yeah.
0: uh, all the way across into Europe yeah. uh, and cut down a more carbon-efficient uh, system. Yeah. Your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, carbon leakage, which is what you're referring to, is, is yeah. always something we have to be aware of. And I, and I mean, obviously, the, the global negotiation system that we have agreed on it, is always going to have f- flaws in terms of counting. I mean, we look at all the goods that we import from China uh, and all of those emissions count for China. They don't count for point. us. So, yeah. so we have the same issue in reverse. When it comes to agriculture, so it's something we have to be mindful of. uh, But it is the system we're in. Uh, So, so yeah, we need to we need to look at that, and we need to make it more expensive. To pollute and, and so maybe there are tariffs or there are things we need to consider about importing dirtier practices or things that are produced in dirtier <coughs> ways. Uh, in, so it's, it's something to be aware of. Well, but I think of. the European
0: Commission is looking at that more broadly in terms of yeah, carbon adjustment. Yeah, but uh, border it's absolutely, and, so and
1: I think my concern about that argument is that it's often used as a reason to do nothing in Ireland. Okay. And we can't do that. We have to, you know, we have targets. We have to abide by those targets. And okay, there are... I suppose are, you're
0: saying the national target system is not perfect, but it's probably the only system. It's in the, the system sense we've the, agreed on. The globa- well globally it's yeah. going to be very difficult
1: to change the system
0: to get a global concord we get global yeah. agreements but yeah. Yeah. the implementation of them is as we know yeah. is very, yeah. very patchy and it depends who's in power in a given jurisdiction that can determine the response of a yeah. given country
1: yeah absolutely yeah. So, so I think we have to do stuff and I think certainly okay you can look at dairy farmers and you can say their income the average dairy farmer income has gone up from 98,000 in mm-hmm. 2021 to 150,000 in 2022 so it's going to be very hard to convince them that they should change their ways in terms of climate. Water quality is another issue that I think that they're really responsible for. But when it comes to um, beef and sheep farming, their incomes have reduced by 13 to 20 Mm percent in the last year. Um, A lot of them are living off subsidies. Taxpayer yes, funded, yeah. and they are willing to change to carbon farming uh, in return for those subsidies rather than livestock. Yeah, I farming. think
0: there's a, there still is a significant agenda there to be uh, gone through. I think the yeah. um, the acres program, for example, it's interesting oversubscribed. It was expanded to accommodate more farmers. This is the environmentally friendly farming program. Uh, I think the afforestation program and the forestry initiative, which will will involve about one point three billion of an investment, but it's in the commission at the moment, Mm -hmm. awaiting approval.
1: I think it just got approval. Uh,
0: Well, that's good, (laughs) Um, but it's kind of slowed us up. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: has. Yeah,
0: quite a lengthy period, which with the result that last year's figures are not good. Yeah, uh, to be clear about it. So, but I do Mm -hmm. think the prospects for. Um, afforestation is better now um, yeah. because of the programme having been agreed yeah. uh, and the funding uh, that would be quite substantial and a way above anything that was ever allocated yeah. before. And now the challenge will be can we persuade people this is better for your bottom line yeah. financially yeah. to go in this direction.
1: Yeah, or even the behavioural change because <laughs> what, we, what we find with people is they don't necessarily that they're not rational actors when it comes to finances. Oh, yeah. Sometimes something is financially better, and for other reasons, people don't want to do it. So it's getting into that behavioral change issue that we need well, to get yeah,
0: to. I admit, <laughs> suckler herd farmers <laughs> uh, during drought conditions, for for example, or when when sorry, not drought, apologies, um, forage uh, problems and so on from flooding and all of that. And yeah, they put it to me. You're probably wondering why we do this, because they would say to me that the last four or five years have been very poor. This is a number of year ago years yeah. ago. And it's 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 in their DNA. Mm-hmm. It's what my father did. Yeah. It's what our family did before us. So that, yeah. that is difficult to
1: yeah. take yeah. from a
0: person's kind of raison d'etre and, Absolutely. And so on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, my family come from they're Kerry dairy farmers, and my grandfather inherited a farm that had no power to it, wasn't mechanized at all, and handed it to my <coughs> uncle, and it was fully mechanized and a hundred cows and everything. And so the of course you want to hand on a growing viable farm, and that that's a very natural thing. But at the same time, I think a lot of farmers do want to do more for. Oh, I they so, want I mean, to be sustainable. They yeah. they want to engage, but we're not giving them the offerings yet to engage yeah, them. I, to mean, let I met them a do young that.
0: farmer in Tarbert last year. Uh, we releasing a, a white tailed eagle uh, as part of that conservation program. Yeah. Uh, and he was into multi species wards and couldn't understand why it wasn't being promoted more because yeah, yeah. he felt the dividend for him was much better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's getting those kind of messages out there at scale, um, and that's tricky, you know. The
0: water quality issue concerns me. Uh, um, The EPA report... Uh, is not good no. in respect of our rivers and, and, and waterways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's now 40% are in unhealthy status and 44% of rivers are impacted. And And they're saying that, okay, agriculture is not the only yeah, problem, f- but it <laughs> is the primary problem that, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus runoff. and And I see it myself in Kerry where there are years where... You know the farms are drowning in slurry. They they don't have the weather to spread it, and obviously when they do spread it, it's potentially going to have an impact on waterways. So so it makes sense. So if you know we've we've pressured farmers to intensify, and mm-hmm. now the result is they are drowning in livestock waste that they they can't get rid of. So I think for dairy in particular, that's probably more of an issue than the whole climate and emissions thing. It's, yes, it's yeah, the impact I, I, on I, water yeah. quality. And I think, and,
0: but in, in some respects, the dairy industry has proven itself to be probably the modern. The side of the industry perhaps yeah. from, from, you know in terms of its growth and all of that and systems and yeah. someone would like to think and you've been involved in Tagovsk and so on that there is a capacity there to um, try and work through these uh, issues and, and provide and solutions do more with the waste or, yeah. or yeah, whatever exactly, yeah yeah, yeah. <coughs> i mean
1: it goes back to the circular economy use yes. the, use yeah. waste yeah. more efficiently yeah. and everything yeah so i think that, that for dairy it's probably more technological changes and for yeah. the other yeah. areas it's more it's more shift into Sh- shift in, 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 into in, other in things like peatland rewetting or whatever it is and it's how to create the incentives but to the do that but the peatland
0: rewetting is happening now. It? It, uh, it is, is yeah so, and i think that was that
1: was one thing in our scorecard this year that we mentioned that you know there there is and i think what's been important
0: is the transformation, as you said earlier, of board pneumonia? which was something I was always looking for in the last number of years, it's now become a climate change agency.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and it's and so visual when you drive past yes, them now, yeah. you see all these trees cropping up in this extracted and yeah. and the ecology is changing rapidly, actually. So th- I, um, that is such a good news story. In that
0: context, what would your thoughts on Queel to be then in terms of forestry and yeah. in terms of the mix and the balance no, and, and in terms of its new plans?
1: Yeah, I think our problem with forestry <clears throat> right now is that we haven't really thought about the kind of, the yeah, the products. So once you harvest the trees, uh, what, you know, do we have... A, a timber-based construction industry. No, you know, we haven't moved <laughs> no. that way and we need to because actually we need to lock that carbon in. We can't just burn it in fires or whatever. We need to actually put it into construction yeah. where it's locked in for hundreds of I years. I mean, the comparisons
0: between Ireland and Scotland in terms of use of timber for, for, for construction mm-hmm. is, is, is extraordinary. I mean, yeah. the, the percentages are very low here. Yeah. They're very high in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, so there's huge potential for us. Yeah. In terms of timber frame housing and so yeah. on. Yeah.
1: And it yeah. goes back to that, that, um, that ministerial departments thing because a lot of this ends up falling on I guess it would be education in that we don't have the the skilled workforce to do all these new climate action jobs, be it timber construction or deep energy retrofit or um, electric vehicle repairman or woman or whatever. Uh, and, And so... So we need to be working together Mm. to create new enterprise, new trades, new apprenticeships. Well, there
0: is a new Department of uh, Higher Education Research, it's a long title, uh, Mm -hmm. which we established specifically at the formation of this government to deal with third level further education, apprenticeships and skills. They have developed programs, particularly in the retrofitting space, uh, and also in terms of wind energy, because I think one of your scorecards this year... Wind energy does particularly well. The offshore wind energy piece with the auction that went off very well. I think a very good negotiated price for the future. You, You you law the centralized planning approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so there is a sense at last, there's visibility, yeah.
1: whereas yeah. perhaps maybe
0: last year, there wasn't quite the same visibility on the landing yeah. zone I mean, for offshore wind y- by 2030 or 20. Y-
1: yeah. And yeah. last year's scorecard, the energy score had dropped quite significantly because A, we were stalling on all of that and B, you had like the energy crisis and we had tripled the use of coal and oil. This year, we've saw, seen that stabilize so we've we've gone back to you know less coal and oil hopefully it'll stay that way the yeah. energy crisis has stabilized a bit and now you have mara the the marine regulatory uh, authority up and yep. running, chaired by Mark Mellett, a fellow yep. Corkman who, you know, I couldn't be in better hands, I think, with, with yes. him. He's not only he's got the Navy background as former Defense Forces uh, vice admiral, but also he has a PhD in marine ecology. So he actually gets the environmental challenge that's going out there. So I think, he, you know, it's in good hands and that probably in the next year we should see a lot coming from that to hopefully get this offshore wind thing really going up yeah. and running yeah because yeah, yeah, that yeah. that's that's tricky with the issues well, to me the that's a very think. key plank yeah
0: in our overall strategy to 2030 yeah uh, and beyond yeah uh, in terms of uh, becoming an exporting nation eventually. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of yeah, you know, And of course,
1: you opened the Super Grid, Super Solutions <laughs> book launch with Eddie O'Connor there. I did. And, uh, and I mean, that really could transform. It could transform the whole West of Ireland in terms of it could. energy um, exporter and everything.
0: But also at a European level, it was very clear after the the, the terrible invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Europe had to regroup very quickly, ending oil and gas dependency on Russia. And it seems, whereas in the immediate sense, that created huge pressure. Uh, And I felt it could be, we could regress in terms of the use of fossil fuels in the short term. But you got the sense medium term, Europe is very committed now, that doubling down on renewable is the only option into the future yeah. in terms of energy independence.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears> and that we have to connect to Europe. We have and, to And be... then the grid, the, the yeah. European grid is
0: very important. We yeah. have the connection with France now. Yeah. Um, and what was interesting there, not one objection to that.
1: Uh, Amazing. Interconnector, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in, there's... In the
0: planning process, which I think is something Airgrid should, Airgrid should take credit for because mm-hmm. they did engage and the importance of engaging with communities and consulting well in advance to make sure... Uh, that you can reduce the level of objections subsequently. And that will be yeah. a big challenge for offshore wind uh, as we develop and roll it out. Yeah. yeah. Transport. Can you talk uh, to me about transport?
1: I was wondering if you were going to mention <clears throat> transport. I mean, transport has always been a big concern to me. We we often focus when we're talking about climate issues on agriculture uh, in the media and everything. But actually, transport emissions have been steadily rocketing up. They dropped slightly during the the yeah. economic oh. crash and then they rebounded exponentially afterward and, and then they dropped slightly because of COVID and now they're rebounding again I think uh, so we're, we're not getting there and we have historically had governments that had focused uh, when it came to emissions reductions almost entirely on electric vehicle targets you know a million electric vehicles by 2030 and everything and and while electric vehicles are great I, I own one they're superior cars technologically uh, fun to drive and everything they are really not going to get us to the targets that, that we need to reach and so we have Decades of, of backfilling, essentially, on public transport investment because we didn't, in previous governments, in really invest in public transport. No. To my knowledge, uh, and, and so now we have a lot of making up to do on
0: that. Except the Cork Middleton rail oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It, yeah, that was one of the and it's first, and probably That was one of the used. first in probably fifty or sixty years, and that was t- nearly twenty years ago. And is now. it heavily used? Uh, at capacity? Well, heavily. And now yeah, there's so new developments can... taking place as part of. The the European program, mm-hmm. yeah, the resilience uh, program, um, in terms of Mallow and Middleton uh, through Kent Station, a commuter a proper commuter system, which yeah. will have uh, trains every eventually every fifteen yeah. minutes, and will um, transform
1: Cork City. And as will, a will be potential very significant
0: and hopefully then connect yeah. into a light rail system. Yeah. The difficulty with transport, sense. as I see it, though, in terms of public transport, and you're correct, we're backfilling. Yeah. There is an enormously uh, on the surface apparently, you know. Significant uh, road or a challenge in yeah. terms of planning um, railway orders. Um, yeah. It's a long process to get a railway built. Yeah. To get a metro built will be a long process. Yeah, uh, We have to do it. Uh, and um, I think in part of the funding arrangements for the future, if we can create um, an infrastructure uh, capital sort of reserve fund that, uh, f- future prove us proofs us against cyclical changes in the economy. In other words, if the economy goes down, that we stop everything. Yeah, I think that's the only way we can get projects like the metro done, yeah. or any the other big r- rail projects, and get more people. Uh, on trains uh, and on public and buses as well of course
1: yeah yeah it's so key and i think i think when you look too at the at the resources required for electric vehicles and battery technology i mean the studies are saying that by 2050 w- demand will outstrip supply of cobalt by 400 percent mm, mm. and that's just cobalt we also need lithium and other rare earth metals and they're all extracted from the global south so i think if we're going to be you know in short supply of these rare minerals we need to be thinking about using them very very efficiently efficiently. And and my concern is if we put all our attention on electric vehicles, that we potentially run into a a mineral supply problem down the road, that, you know, that it's just not an efficient use of of time. But
0: but I would argue maybe a counter argument is Mm -hmm. that um, we've made progress on electric vehicles, but we could do an awful lot more. And in the short term, it does give us breathing space whilst you're getting emissions down. It cleans up the air. Yeah, yeah. Which incentivise compact living in cities and and towns because that is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of builders and construction people saying viability issues around um, apartment buildings and that's a Mm -hmm. separate challenge. Yeah. Well, not separate, it's related but it's proving very challenging to get major um, apartment developments uh, in city centres. So we have the Docklands in Corkwood. Dublin has its planning issues around Docklands. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet we know from a transport point of view it makes far more sense uh, if we can get greater compact development, yeah, uh, and so there are a lot of real challenges to that, uh, which then relates to the transport issue. Then,
1: yeah, yeah, there's so, there's so much, but I mean, I think I think if you look at the transport emissions in a silo, which we have a tendency to do yes, with environmental yeah. issues, we look at them in silos. You would absolutely say electric vehicles are a great solution, but if you look at the at at it holistically. And look at the environment holistically, and look at the global environment and the impact on extractivism in the global south and other issues. Suddenly, you step back and go, "Okay, electric vehicles can't be the only solution." Like you said, it, it maybe it's a short term solution. Um, certainly, we need to be creating a second hand electric vehicle market because we're in a situation right now where it's. It's wealthy people in maybe South Dublin that already have access to public transport that are buying these electric vehicles, and really the people we need to be buying them are in rural Ireland that don't have access to public transport. So, so we need to figure out what the obstacle is there. Why aren't they buying well, them?
0: I mean, I think we might have disagreements around government. That is, I think incentivization is still a valid option for for particularly for for those on lower incomes uh, yeah. in, in in respect of, of of transferring to EVs. The danger is if if we don't maintain momentum, is there are still people extracting fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. There are still uh, yeah. countries and jurisdictions yeah. uh, that are full spe- speed ahead yeah. in terms of extraction. Yeah. So y- you've got to change the dial, so to speak, in respect of the utilisation of fossil fuels yeah. in terms of transport. Yeah. Electric, Those EVs do that, yeah. except more technologies will come on stream. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, that whole technology space is one that we have to con- yeah, really, Um follow through on.
1: Adapt, yeah.
0: In the context of the legislative certainty um, that you spoke about earlier and how important that is in giving um, a trajectory of travel to industry, to stakeholders, that they can plan over 10 years mm-hmm. and this is the way it's going to be and they can get resources from their headquarters and so on and SMEs can develop and farming can develop and so on in accordance with the legislation um, and, and so on. And then given our political system, some governments are presidential. In Ireland, it's a party political... Political system, um, and where you have different parties will form governments over a different period of time, or in coalition governments. Mm. Um, and the point being, how do we get political mm. sustainability around the climate, ch- the climate change issue, and in terms of future elections? Yeah. Uh, because there are talks of new parties being formed to resist uh, measures to tackle climate change. Some parties. I don't, don't want to be too partisan Partisan in the context of this interview, have been quite mischievous on climate issues yeah. over the last number of years. You, one thinks of issues like carbon tax, for example, which gives us the funds to do the retrofitting, the environmental farming and fuel poverty and so on like that. Um, yet people have tried to lay booby traps for the government uh, on, on an ongoing basis and that will happen in future governments. So, mm-hmm. um Elections matter, don't they, in terms of yeah, climate change?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny coming from the American system where I grew up, which is so polarised, you know, like essentially a two-party system and then coming here where it's a multi-party system and and I've become obsessed with politics because it's, it's really interesting and really enjoyable and actually really effective, like the whole preferential voting system yeah. means that the parties are much more likely to compromise and want to work with each other than be as polarized as they are in America. And I can see that my, you know, my fellow classmates in America are becoming less and less engaged in politics, because it's just seems so futile, whereas really? you know someone like me is getting more and more engaged because you, you can see how it actually works. And and as someone who ran for election in 2014, I mean, that was a real light bulb moment for me because um, what I realized is what people say at the doors yeah. really does seep into your consciousness as a, as a prospective politician and that what they care about, suddenly you start paying attention. So if homelessness is the issue in your area, you as a candidate start reading more about homelessness and trying to have opinions, informed opinions about that issue. So so, I mean, the, the most proud moment for me in, in my whole time here in Ireland was in the last election when those of us in the climate sphere made a point of saying repeatedly, you know, if you do anything on climate, just ask the person knocking on your door what they're doing about climate change or what their policies are on climate change. You don't have to know anything about climate change. Just ask them what they're doing. And politicians across every party said it was coming up in the top five issues on the doorstep. So it really, really did have an impact. And you could see in the manifestos that every political party had something about climate change in their manifestos. So I think that ch- the challenge, though, is that um, some of the manifestos, when you read them, uh, they might have some good things about climate change, but equally they'll say, and we're going to put airports in every town in Ireland, you know? and they're So it's that lack of joined-up thinking where they're trying to create something for everyone in the audience mm. and, and maximize the amount of votes they get in without really stepping back and going, is this a, a sustainable plan for us? And, I mean, it was interesting that one small political party actually had emissions reductions quantified, they had a climate manifesto where they quantified emissions reductions and said each of these plans will result in this amount. Now, their challenge was they couldn't say how they would pay for all this, and that, now that's another yeah, issue, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's where the, the carbon tax thing becomes really important because we need that money to, to pay for these kind of climate I, action measures. I
0: can recall in, in, in opposition, mm-hmm. you know, when I was leading Fianna Fáil in opposition, we committed to the carbon tax.
1: Mm-hmm
0: but I wanted it ring-fenced for climate because revenue can go into the general exchequer and get absorbed for other issues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I think the public will buy into that if there's a sense that the the funding is ring-fenced for a given um, uh, programme, and in this case, climate change. And the Department of Finance hate this. They yeah. regard this as... Um, uh, yeah, because
1: they want discretion and they're oh, spending... Oh, it's historic.
0: I know what I yeah. dealt with it before in the previous government uh, in education. But yeah. uh, nonetheless, if we want to bring the public with us in respect of climate... Absolutely. and uh, But also if you want the resources to, mm-hmm. to allocate for... Yeah. Issues like retrofitting or um, agri-environmental programs yeah. um, and, um, and 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 the just transition programs yeah. and so on in the Midlands, yeah. you will need funding, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: to enable you to, to to do all of that. And
1: people yeah. will get that. I think the citizens' assembly on climate showed that they themselves yeah. said they were willing to pay more for high polluting activities. So they were essentially that's essentially a carbon tax. Yeah. I, I think the issue that w- we have now is that we're not communicating that hypothecation to the public. So we need a pie chart on the. De- Department of Finance that just says here's where your carbon tax is going, and if people could see that their carbon tax is going to retrofitting social housing and everything, suddenly it, it becomes a more palatable thing, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, so, th- yeah, so there's yeah. a there's a communication issue there that, that we're not winning because because we're not we're not pushing out a, a positive narrative, and and we have seen in other countries. But I would say
0: though that uh, I mean yeah. my my sense is because it, it got a bit rocky during the. Energy crisis after Ukraine. Yeah, um, the prices were going up. Yeah, there was attempts on the oil. Uh, people saying you should not proceed with I the, was
1: part of that, actually. Hands should, up, you should not I, proceed. Yeah, no, yeah, we held the line yeah, and I was yeah. very determined
0: we would hold the line. Yeah. Because if you start changing legislation mm-hmm. midstream, it's gone. Yeah. You're not going to... Uh, future parties and governments will not reintroduce it. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to hold firm. Yeah. Uh, because the overall amount was was negligible in respect of the broader increases in, in yeah. petrol and diesel that were coming from the war. Right. And coming from the post-COVID inflationary mm-hmm. surge. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, but it gave us the resources to do uh, the the major programs around active travel and 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 and, and yeah. particularly retrofitting an agri uh, environment yeah, and, and also is... then to protect people from fuel poverty. And that was as well. for me
1: as on a personal level that was such an interesting uh, kind of moment in time because it you know there's two benefits of the carbon tax one is that it influences behavioral change. Yes of course yeah. and the other is that it provides you <coughs> revenue and at the time with the energy crisis that behavioral change was already happening so you didn't need carbon tax mm-hmm. for that but the revenue thing of course, as someone from the outside, I'm not aware of how important that money is for, for these carbon measures. And it was only then, after all of that had taken place, that I was informed about how critical that money was. And if that money didn't come in, these climate actions weren't happening. And that's where that's it. it's yeah. you know, only having half the information and not effectively communicating. But where also, that the money key point is.
0: is it's not in legislation for the long term. A yeah. future government has to change the legislation if it yeah. wishes. That would be, in my view, an anti climate. Uh, you know, the need for climate change action, yeah. and they would have to live with that. Yeah. But um, and I think that the importance of legislative certainty is back to your point, yeah. because if you have those revenues coming in for the next ten years, well, then you develop a retrofit industry, mm-hmm. you develop other industries as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Could I ask more, more, more generally, and, and and I think there's no doubt, and this happens occasionally, but I think it's becoming more consistent. Extreme weather events are con- are concentrating the mind of the public the extraordinary heat heat across the European continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at COP 27 mm-hmm. in, in Egypt, I, I met some one, one or two political leaders who said to me, the only area where the experts might have got it wrong was the timeline for really severe um, events. And yeah. we were conscious, I think we had presentations from Sri Lankan, Pakistan, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of arable land destroyed huge threats to food production systems Mm -hmm. um, and to our very way of life. Mm -hmm. And that can introduce a fatalism almost or we're we're kind of, we're we're gone, we're done kind of image. What's your response to that in terms of keeping the public, um, if you like, at a a level in terms of the public attitude to this, that there is a danger, oh, there's nothing we can do about this anymore. It's all done. uh, As opposed to those who, I, I think the climate denial thing is actually... Not as strong as it was. I think people do oh, sure. believe yeah. it, right? Yeah. But we must convince people that we can actually yeah. um, make an impact yeah. here and, and, and re- re- regress this, or if you like, turn this back.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the <clears throat> the thing that gives me hope. When all this climate chaos is erupting around us, and it's very hard as someone who's been campaigning on climate change for maybe twenty years or so, and and uh, you can you can lose hope very easily. Uh, but what gives me hope is the absolute turnaround I've seen in Ireland in terms of knowledge, understanding education in the Irish public. So if you think about it, people who are maybe over the age of about 35 probably didn't have much environmental education in school. I I don't know about yourself, but very few people I've talked to over that age were were educated in school about the environment, and since then we have the green schools, and obviously younger generations are more green aware, flag and all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but the media has changed a lot, and I would actually credit Donald Trump with this because Donald Trump was so far out there in terms of climate denial that that was the moment when I saw a shift in the media where they really were like, oh well, we're we're not like that.
0: Hold on, yeah, and suddenly yeah,
1: yeah. you stopped getting this idea that every time you talked about climate change, you had to have a climate denier on for balance or whatever, and 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 you got more. Um, more robust discussion not about whether or not climate change existed but what we should do about climate change which is the conversations we desperately need to have in Ireland so in the, certainly in the last like within this decade in the last five years or so I've been amazed just walking around Bracey front I've heard older people having conversations yes. about climate change and they get it so so we're finally getting an awareness and I can
0: see it now in gardens and the, re- the rewilding yeah. let it grow yeah. people finally aren't spraying uh, all their weeds known, pollinators yeah. And yeah, everything so, that,
1: so. so that's great but and the
0: young scientists competition, I don't, d- yeah, don't know if you go to that every year, yeah. the, the increasing number of projects yeah. on climate, yeah. on biodiversity uh, and so on, yeah, uh, yeah. really reflects what you've just uh, been saying in terms yeah, of the, the change of attitude. Yeah, that
1: employers are now saying that when they're doing interviews with people, they're being asked, well, what's your sustainability policy, you know, so...
0: Which, which just brings me to the maybe the final point, uh, and mm-hmm. it's the um, National Adaptation Framework, which has yet to be published, but that whole idea of adaptation, and I can mm-hmm. get where those Pursuing the need to address climate change might say, well, if we just talk about adapting, Mm -hmm. that that might take the the, the focus off measures to to reverse climate uh, change. Um, It seems to me we have a lot of work to do as a country and as a society on adaption. um, Because severe events are going to happen. um, I didn't have a brief discussion, with the Chief Executive Officer of Cork County Council recently was heartened to see that they have a joint program with UCC, which is a full analysis of the Cork County coastline oh, yeah. with a view to adaptation. Because
1: flooding there. So, that, is so huge. that's a kind of a
0: sign of, uh, and that's a sense yeah. that there is work going on. Yeah. But I think we still have to up our game in respect of adaptation.
1: Yeah, I think flooding has been the one place we've been we've <clears> been, <throat> been considering adaptation well, where we really have ignored it, and where we really do need to talk about it, is in agriculture, because of course our whole food production system will will change yes. when the weather changes. You know, and and there's talk that maybe the southeast of Ireland will need to consider irrigation piping to be able to continue to grow be a grass or whatever crops they want yeah. to grow so um, maybe we need to talk about water retention and things like that that we that we haven't thought about recently and becoming more food secure because of course as other parts of the world as the European continent is experiencing more drought and fires they won't necessarily be able to export all the food to us that they have been at the moment like we are we are net food importers in terms of calories and everything Uh, so we need to talk about how agriculture is going to have to adapt and change to to soothe this new climate too. But I think you're right that we have ignored adaptation for fear that it will deflect from mitigation. And of course, if we don't mitigate and reduce greenhouse gas gas emissions, we actually can't adapt to four or five or six Mm. degrees of warming, which is what we're facing if we don't reduce emissions. So so it's it's been really tricky. But certainly, I mean, the Climate Advisory Council and our Friends of the Earth report card, we've we've really been saying like, where is the adaptation plan? How are we going to But it's probably the biggest challenge because it is so uh, cross-departmental and everything. Yeah, but it's also
0: very important to identify the roadmap for this because, of course, it will absorb significant capital funding into the future. Mm -hmm. But we need to do it, uh, in in, in, in my view. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, your point about food production systems, because... Uh, alongside with the climate change is the food security issue. Yeah. We saw that with Ukraine, the Absolutely. war on Ukraine. All of a sudden, you're dealing with a huge issue for yeah. the Middle East and for Africa in terms yeah. of, of grain and and and, and Yeah, and, 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 and I mean, and so
1: interestingly, much. we saw that India said, oh, well, we can fill the gap on the grain exports. And then India had this prolonged drought and said, oh, hang on, we actually can't export our grain. We need to keep it for ourselves. And I think that, I mean, that is the issue that keeps me up at night is, is worrying about, well, what happens when everybody ratchets down and says we need to keep this food for, for ourselves. ourselves. We can't give it to you. And I don't think Ireland... As much as we're, we're great at milk and meat, I don't think we've really thought that through in terms of having enough calories to feed our population.
0: I don't think we have, even though I think we have the capacity. You've been working with Talgisk. You did your PhD, I think, with Talgisk. Yeah. Uh, it was up in Mozambique recently, where uh, Irish Aid we're doing... Uh, exceptional work in terms of advising um, the people of Mozambique in, in, in very poor areas in terms of food production systems yeah. and how to become more resilient and more sustainable. Yeah. And it was a joy to see. Uh, so I think we have the expertise within the country to do. We just Absolutely. need to focus on it.
1: We really all need uh, to sit <coughs> down together and, and have a conversation that's productive. I think environmentalists and farmers and everything need to sit down and figure out what's not working now for everyone and how can we solve it in a
0: sustainable way. Well, on that note, I think we'll conclude, Cara, and uh, I think it's a good note to end on. Thank you very much indeed for your insightful and informative observations uh, in terms of the climate issue, which is the greatest existential issue that we now face as as a people, uh, and your thoughts in terms of progress within the programme for government itself. Thank Thank you you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.